Hi everybody, we are Matt and Kevin and welcome to Season 2 of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms. You can also find us on social media at Believe in OWL and Believe.com. This week, we cover the games at the Houston Outlaws homestead, the new way to get league tokens, and the introduction of Hero Pools. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the second part of this week's podcast, or the first if you're listening to this part first, but the gameplay section of the Believe in Overwatch League podcast, where we're going to be talking about the Houston Outlaws homestand, which was very interesting over these two days. Yes, it Um, has. I did not expect a lot of these results that happened. Uh, I I could totally agree as well. I was glad to see the Atlanta Rain kind of come out and play uh-huh. for the first time. Um, I'm not. I think that they're like one of the few teams that is very stable from last year. I don't. They didn't make a lot of roster changes, so yeah. they kind of still have that still synergy. Good, good as ever. Yeah, they have Baby Bay. They re-sign Gator. Um, they just have a whole bunch of just really solid players. Um, but. Yeah, it was cool to see them come out and play. Um, you know, Outlaws getting their home stand, um, trying to turn you know the luck around, uh, and then just a bunch of like just really solid games. And I'm glad that we're gonna have a lot more of these coming up into the future. Um, but yeah, we have a, we have a lot to discuss here. Yeah. Uh, before we started, do want to mention a funny thing that did happen these past this past week. If you've if any of you look at the uh, the social media for our page, um, I posted a picture of Doomfist uh, mid-Meteor Strike, and I didn't expect it to get as much traction as it did. But uh, let me see what we're currently at on that page. On likes. So while I'm looking, what did you think of that, that image when I posted it? I was just like, oh, why Why is this a thing? And then uh, I replied really quickly. I was like, you know, when you suck the bulb up the straw too quickly, uh, <laughs> that that is kind of what it looked like. Um, but yeah. Same it, energy. Yeah, same, same energy going into it. So um, uh, I'm really glad that uh, we, we got to see what it looks like, like mid-animation. It's kind of like the old one, if you've seen the, uh, the McCree rolling, like the... Uh, what's it he's called? a long face man yeah we I, I forgot what the name for that was uh but like mccree has an official name for that too um but yeah it, it's just fun to see that um this so does we're at look- 411 likes 90 retweets and 11 comments i i guess we just have to post to this channel a little bit more uh <laughs> yeah we need to find more meme worthy cringe worthy cursed image content uh yeah, we do that. We can we can definitely get more. So the first match of the week, uh, so first day, it was the NYXL versus the Mayhem, the Defiant versus the Rain, and Spitfire v Outlaws. Um, the map types that were going to be for the first three matches were Control, Hybrid, and Assault. So essentially, King of the Hill, um, Capture Point, Push Payload, and then two teams fighting to control the one um, one payload. Uh, so for the NYXL versus the Florida Mayhem, those three maps were Ilios, Kings Row, and Anubis. Um, 
did we have any illusions of the Florida Mayhem actually beating the NYXL? Uh, not at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just being honest here. Um, <laughs> kind of expect the New York Excelsior to kind of do what they do best. They wanted to really bounce back after last week. They had a couple of like games that were really close, like against uh, like Philly, like two weeks ago, and then just a couple of the games they. I, I wouldn't say that they were coming in with confidence. So I think that now we that they have like this kind of flow to them. They're just like, you know what? We, we have to prove that we're still at the top, um, even with a couple of new pickups and roster changes. This is the best way to go about uh-huh. it. I think that this New York XL team is very, very comfortable on the meta as it stands. Um, a lot of the time when they're facing the Florida Mayhem, they were going... Very close, if not exactly mirrored on the meta. Um, Once or twice, uh, Florida ran a Widow version of the meta where you replace the McCree with a Widowmaker or some other hit scan. Um, But in general, New York just was very, very comfortable. They, um, they They were aggressive in their own right, but they weren't pushing the envelope too much, I would say. Um... The casters commented that a, a, a thing about the Florida team is that they're very good when they get very aggressive and when they push and do weird things. But the New York cell didn't let them do that because I think New York is just a very experienced and polished team. And yeah, I think that I think that's it. Yeah, they, they kind of knew what they were going to do when they were going into this fight, um, into this matchup here. So they have the experience. They have, you know definitely veterans on the team and the mayhem are just kind of a new, they have a brand new face. They have a new roster. So uh, it's going to take them a little bit of time to get their footing. But if anything, it just shows that New York still has the groove and mayhem just have to catch up. Mm -hmm. There was one instance where the mayhem showed a little bit of life to them. Uh, That was the Kings row match. Um, The mayhem actually, they tied it up and the New York XL had a little bit more time in the bank, so they got their third attempt to push while the Florida Mayhem just had to hold it, but they were able to tie it up. So it wasn't a total, complete sweep of them. They they weren't rolled, um, but they still have a ways to go before they, they actually are in contention for, for really anything. I will say, though, so if, if you watch the match, and this is kind of very petty from me, but in the in the middle of of each round when you go back to the casters you show the casters and there's people holding signs behind him there's that one dude on the day, first day he was wearing orange and he did the same thing every time he kind of just stood there raised his sign and started nodding and like on its own that's fine but his sign said let roadhog fly and i did that back in season one of overwatch league i i went there and i had my let the pig fly and I don't know. I'm very petty. And like, that was my thing and they never made the animation for it. So I'm sad, but anyway, it's all good. Uh, we, we all need something to look forward to. And if we just need to roast a kid, uh, that's just collateral damage on his part. So, <laughs> um, okay. So the defiant versus the Atlanta rain, this was a, this was a fun map or not map matchup. Um, I was expecting a little bit more out of the Toronto Defiant as opposed to 
again being completely swept by the Atlanta Rain. I was I was expecting the Rain to win, but I expected a little bit more fight from the Defiant. I totally agree. I I didn't expect a three zero um, going into this. I thought that honestly, I thought the Defiant would at least put up a fight. Um, I I don't know what it was. Maybe it's just like them not feeling comfortable in the space. Um, but yeah, it it was just kind of a weird, weird game in general. I feel like everybody on on the Defiant half was just kind of laid back a little bit too much. But the Defiant were just trying to like do too much. Meanwhile, the Rain were just like a hundred percent focused and figured out exactly what they wanted to do, and they executed right. perfectly. So, um, that's why I I thought like you know the Rain did really well against the Defiant um once again the rain have more synergy because they played as the same team the year before mm-hmm. meanwhile the defiant are you know a hodgepodge of just brand new and star talent um it's going to take a little bit of time for them to get up to that level of being cohesive if and- we're talking about cohesion like on the atlanta rain like gator and pokpo are they had so many big plays especially if you're looking at map one on nepal in the village Gator had a halt, pulled five people together, and then uh, Poco fire strikes through Baptiste Ant Matrix to just kill five people. What is that? That's just disgustingly coordinated. There's actually a term in uh, the Overwatch League that they haven't they haven't used in the Overwatch League, but they use in Contenders all the time. Um, it's a it's another weeb reference, but it is a thing. Um, whenever you throw fire strike through an amp matrix, it's called the wind scar, which is like a reference to Inuyasha, uh, which was like, you know, like a fire blade. Inuyasha said out loud in so long. Yeah. So the official term in like the contender scene is if there is a fire strike thrown through an amp matrix, it's called a wind scar. Um, it's like it's super nerdy and as an anime fan i was like whoa they pulled off a wind scar but like you know that's the whole combo right there if you get a halt and you throw a fire strike at it if it's through an ant matrix that's 200 hp like you, you just wipe out everybody who that touches so um it was cool to see that um 100 coming out from you know the rain that's definitely a highlight play um and it's something that uh, players should be taking note of it's just like the it may not be an orthodox synergy but it is there mm-hmm. what i also really liked about this matchup is how neither team really stuck to the meta we had a lot of very weird compositions not very weird but um unique they didn't play the meta like there was a lot of the um hack and nano blade but i'm particularly impressed with the atlanta rain going with the tor yeah maybe it's just a it might be a callback or a throwback to Defran and the fact that, like, you know, he, he retired. And that's when one of the very few heroes that he actually made a name on. So if they're going to yeah. run the Torb, um, I, I understand where it's coming from just because it is a good... It is a solid pickup, believe it or not. Like, um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot of... It, yeah. It's a having a free, free hit scan. Without even having to try and aim. Plus the crowd control and the zoning of Torb's ultimate. Yes, so you just have a lot of tools there. Plus, like, Overcharge is still really strong. Like, 
You got 100 armor, plus you get, like, move speed. So he may be short, but he is sprinting away from you or into you, and you can't run away from that. So uh, he is very scary, and that's why... Um, don't underestimate the Torb. Make sure that, like, you actually take care of him. He's, like, 75% head, so you should be able to headshot him pretty well. Uh, Crazy fire dwarf. If, if you're a diva, by the way, you can eat Molten Core. Um if you keep dm over him so you can save it if you hear the molten core going off what do you think is more interesting to you in a match uh two teams executing the meta to perfection and like just very knowledgeable game sense on either side or teams going wonky comp okay so i have a hard balance between this because there's sometimes where like you play the meta as is and like it is cool to see people like outplay each other and that's what the goats composition was it was essentially like everybody played the same thing but whoever could execute it the best wins um that was really that's like high level gameplay um but in terms of like watching it it's just very boring um i do like the idea of counter picking um especially into players who only have like one trick or like one specific way of how they play you have a lot of outs to it um if you're willing to go um tall with your hero picks and just like pick out who you need to pick um it's way more beneficial going into the game so like for example if they're playing like a bunker comp and you guys want to go full dive with like uh you want to go like hammond uh diva sombra uh, junk rat just like this really weird wonky comp that nobody would ever think about um and it works it makes the other team realize okay well we can't run this into them or else we're gonna get clapped every time so we have to get weird so that that's what it is it's about making your opponents uncomfortable whether it's outplaying them in what they're good at or playing something that's totally outside of the box that works and forces them to rethink what they want to do um so yeah though once again it does come down to the fact that you have to get creative sometimes you don't have to run the same thing uh even if there is a meta there's always something that can be done against it um and you know it just comes out to being able to outplay your opponent that way okay so moving on to the final match of the day which was the spitfire v outlaws um this match was fun because we got Malik back finally. Malik was hosting this match. Um, and we got to see Linkser play his first map of the season. Um, so we we both thought that if the Outlaws had a chance to win one match this homestand, that it would be against this very fresh uh, London Spitfire team who haven't really played together as long. Um, yeah, that didn't happen. It, it, yeah, was we a, were wrong. it was a win. Yeah, uh, we, we done goofed. Uh, but that it, being said, it was a very close. It went down literally to the wire. Save it being the uh, the two, the seven map last week with the two draws. Like, they went down to map five last point. Yeah, and it was honestly like a very good like matchup just to see. Um, obviously, if the Outlaws have decided to switch up anything... Um, you know, they are the test case right now. It's like they have a bunch of really good, talented players, 
It's just how do you put them all into the same team and make it work? And that all comes down to Coach Harsha, um, uh-huh. which, you know, he, he didn't have necessarily the best of luck when it came to coaching for the for the San Francisco Shock. And then he had the best of luck when he went to the Vancouver Titans. And now he's got, you know, a brand new project with the with the Houston Outlaws. So um, we'll see how this really plays out for them. I do agree that they did switch things up, which I'm very happy about. Like, they're not just going to sit down and just roll over and just right. die every single time. They're willing to do things with like, oh, yeah, let's run Linkser. Let's let's put hydration in. Let's do let's do some weird stuff. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. For me, I think this match really proved that the Outlaws have good pieces. They have Linkser, who's out-widowing, just out-DPSing, headshotting, getting very important kills when he needs to. You've got Jexa, who can both heal and clean up kills when he needs to. Poco's just eating blizzards left and right. I think I think it's just a matter of cohesion for them and figuring out where their um, their problem points lie and addressing that. Um, a lot of these players have played together for since season one, but there there's still something missing. For me, it's this at least in this match, it was still uh, Muma getting caught out when he he extends he extends too far, and if he extends too far, then that's a whole shield and a whole bit of damage that the Houston Outlaws don't have, and they're just easy pickings. Um, it's very it's very hard for the Houston Outlaws to win those five v six matches, um, is what I've noticed. And the, also with the Houston Outlaws, when they do well, they're not really running the mirror; they're running their weird compositions. I would say dive is their strength at this point because then you have Muma on back on Winston, who he's made his name off of and been very comfortable. He's allowed to be very aggressive and extend far in because he has the um the the jump to get him back. Plus his shield is has a little bit more mobility than some other shield tanks, and he, he's not as easy to catch out on his own. Seeing Muma on the Winston just gave that team a whole different like feel to it. Muma is definitely not like the best Reinhardt, and he's known for his Winston. Oh, I, so. I would say he's one of the worst I've seen this season. Okay, yeah, I, I didn't want to go that far, but yeah, he's pretty, as an he's pretty, fan, he's pretty I garbage. Go that far as Muma is the worst Mo- uh, Reinhardt I've seen this season. Very rarely landing his shatters, extending when he doesn't need to, to the detriment of his team, fighting on points where he should be retreating, charging when he doesn't need to, like getting caught up by May walls, like literally at the beginning of every fight he's down. So I would say he's the worst Reinhardt right now. Back to what you were saying, Kevin. Yeah, it's just like not necessarily the greatest thing that we've seen. We we want to see better Rhine play, but we expect that at the very top. Like there's, there's always some kryptonite and it just happens to be Muma's, uh, Muma's Reinhardt. But if they are playing more unorthodox comps, like once again, the dive composition, um, they're, they're feeling more at home and that's no pun because it was their homestand, but like they <laughs> were actually like a lot more comfortable in what they were playing. So I'm on board with Harsha saying, let's get weird. Let's run some weird stuff. Uh, we don't have to necessarily follow the meta, but if we can allow Linkser to pop off, we'll do it. So that's exactly what they did. Let's get weird. Another yeah. thing, uh, like they they did this again this week, where 
like last week last week we had the the map seven this week we went up to end of map five mm-hmm. the houston outlaws have this trend of of losing the first two then trying to come back for the reverse sweep and then not quite taking it do you think that that exhaustion factor of having played for almost two hours if not more at this point has any any impact of their ability to to finish these maps and complete that reverse sweep like maybe if it wasn't a, a first two loss maybe if they won one of the first two matches um would they have a better shot of of getting these wins this is kind of the same way how the original san francisco shock were like we sucked at control point and uh and hybrid like real bad and i'm glad that like it's not only us i guess uh so the outlaws just need to work on those two map styles they need to work on literally just getting that map down 100 percent. just be like okay yeah you know what we're we're only scrimming on busan today we're only scrimming on uh, blizzard world today like we just need to get this map a win you have to get this win whenever you can um so yeah that's what it's going to come down to just figuring out what you need to add or what you need to learn on specific matchups and how to how to win it and for the for the outlaws it's just like you have to win your control point map and you have to win your hybrid map you can like you don't even have to win both you have to win one if you win one you essentially have the two cp map and the payload map under control so what you got to do is just win one of the first two maps you need that momentum and you need to stop so like let's say if you lose the first control point but you win the hybrid right you have you've stopped their momentum you've officially stopped their momentum if you win the first one and you lose the second one it's all good you still know that you had that first win you have that you know that feeling going into it so win one of your first two maps so you're not always playing from behind so as a tank as a coach watching how the tank line of the houston outlaws is running right now what would you suggest and try to fix to make them more of a cohesive and effective team oh the one thing that i necessary that i saw specifically is um the fact that they are kind of they're diving on the correct targets it's just that sometimes they wouldn't finish which sucks so like (laughs) the way how i look at it is as a tank or as the way how it's supposed to go is your tank hops in first and then the dps like takes a flank route and then your supports are just healing from either a distance or right next to you so the thing is you it's what i call like the the list of priorities you want to kill certain people first before you go after the others um the first is anyone who is out of position so literally like if you see a McCree trying to flank and you're like, he's alone, just clap him. So you just see him off to the left, you you already take him out. If you see the second priority is the healers in the back. So if you could take out the form of sustain on the point, you win the fight. So like sometimes they'll go in and they'll try to get the DPS, but they're just getting pocketed like super hard. And I'm like, guys, the priority right now is to get the Ana. Get the Ana right now is going to be the thing that's going to stop you from winning. Um, so it's just figuring out who to prioritize when you're going in for the fight. Um, you might not see them on the initial hop in, 
but you need to know who you're going after. Um, and it's just a matter of, that's just practice. It's just like, we know you have to know where they are. And without that information, you can't necessarily execute. So it's being able to adjust on the fly. Um, I guess the best way to think about it is like playing Pac-Man. Um, when you're playing Pac-Man, huh. you're trying to get as much as you can without running into the enemies that will hurt you the most. So you want to prioritize getting like, you know, the big, if they start coming towards you, you want to get the big, you know, uh, one that allows you to destroy them. So take out their backline first, make sure that they have no sustain and then clean up the rest of them. Um, and always leave the tanks last. This is something that's very difficult for some teams, but leave the tanks last. The reason for that is, uh, yes, they might have the biggest ultimates, but they are the easiest to stagger. Um, it comes down to like diva staggers are obviously the most brutal. Um, but there are a lot of them this weekend. Exactly. Um, and then also staggering a Reinhardt makes sure that like they have no sustain, right? So if you stagger the Reinhardt completely, the other team cannot initiate until their shields there. So it could get pretty brutal if you get to a point where like you see them literally walking back from spawn and then you kill the Reinhardt and they're like, Oh, okay. We can we could either fight this five v six or wait for our shield. So, um, it's it's a lot to think about when it comes down to figuring out who to prioritize. But um, that is one thing that I saw with the Houston Outlaws. It's just like if you get the target priority correct and you start collapsing on the right targets, you should be able to win the fight. Um, and also like patience is another thing especially if you're running around with linkser um linkser is a like probably one of the scariest widows in the game um if you allow him time to get a pick first and not rush him if you get like let's say if you pick off literally like a soldier or something like no one's running soldier if you pick off like the you pick off the mccree for example um then you dive in you might not you have essentially a 5v5 on the point but you also have the advantage of them having to worry about the widow in the back line. So sometimes it's just okay to take like a couple extra seconds to get the pick to make sure that you win the fight. Well, hopefully if they ever hear this podcast, they'll take that advice because it seems like they kind of need it. Um, anyway, so moving on to day two, we had the uprising versus the fusion, the eternal versus the rain, uh, the Spitfire versus the Mayhem. Or oh, wait, is that right? Yeah. So let me just. Uh, so we had the Uprising versus Fusion, Eternal versus Rain, Spitfire versus Mayhem, and the Defiant versus the Outlaws. Um, I gotta say that I didn't. I I came back from hanging out with my roommates the day before, so I didn't finish the Outlaws match until the day before. So I had to watch it on the Sunday. I was literally watching Overwatch for twelve hours. Yeah, it, that's it, the one thing. Like, it, it still feels like there's a lot of Overwatch to be watched. No, there's, there's too there's much. Like, there's still too much. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be even more crazy once we start having games where there or like weeks where there's like twelve matches or something like that. Um, oh yeah, we're we're definitely not gonna be able to watch over all of it. So there will be some maps where we'll just be like, yeah, they won. 
GG yeah, next. We're not going to have time to dissect like the performance of every team because it's all going to blend together. Yeah. So, if anything, I'm just glad that we have a little bit to like watch. We're not going to completely destroy ourselves on these. Um, I, I still say do a best of three. I think that would that gives the teams enough time to prove themselves, um, but also doesn't drag on for too long. I feel like the other half of it is like they want the opportunity to play every map if they have to. Um, so if it is a best of three, your first two have to have both a two CP and a hybrid. Um, if that's not, that's already the way how it is, but like your first two maps have to have, or your first three maps have to have that. So the option, if there is a draw, you go into one that doesn't tie, which is, uh, payload, or they could just introduce push mode already. Yeah, I mean the the way they to do have that one map, but that's all you really need right yeah, now. Yeah, they only have Toronto. Yeah, just make that the tiebreaker map. You know, everybody just gets a new look at the at the HUD. It'd be cool for sure. So, so for the uprising versus the fusion, um, they want on Lijiang, King's Row, and Hanamura. The, 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 I, I put a note here that Fusions on the Uprising is playing against the Philly Fusion. So again, with these names, giving me a lot of confusion. I said Fusion again. Um, yeah, if anything, this just proved that the Philly Fusion are scary. You cannot yeah. discount them. Uh, they told they're the, you... They're currently at the top of the league. Yeah, there's a reason why they're 5-0. and oh, And it's not, it's not a fluke. They are a scary team. Um, it's probably because they don't, they haven't put in Chipsy yet. <laughs> not, no, no roasting, but like, honestly, I feel like they kept them, they kept them there just because they're like, oh, wait, if Doomfist is needed, we'll, we'll pull them out. So, guess I mean, what's too? Next week with the hero pool. We might. Yeah. The hero pool just banned hit scans. You're good. Put, put the boy in. Like, <laughs> I want to see him play. He's got to prove his worth for being on your team. You, you don't want him to just be the uh, the bench warmer guy who just comes out and wins the pennant, right? Like, believe it or not, like Nevix did a lot for the for the uh, San Francisco Shock, even though he wasn't necessarily on stage. Like, he's like a big brain mastermind. Like, he could be a player coach or like a just a regular coach if he wanted to. Um, but he's just crazy good. Um, plus, he gives like solid tips on how to play like Sigma and Diva. So he's just a crazy player. But like uh, Chips, Chips is like, hey, if you play around me, we're gonna win. So we'll see if that comes into play either next week or the week after, and hope that it doesn't affect him uh, too much if we get to see him. But honestly, the Philly Fusion are really strong right now. I'm glad that they're playing at the level that they are. Um, it gives the shock something to chase after. Uh, yeah, because they've only played one map, and I was against the fuel, and then they don't play until their home stand, which is in three weeks. So, <laughs> yeah, let's just hope that uh, they the they get their is, stuff like, together and yeah. start playing at a high level. Um, and the thing is, the Philly Fusion have been playing very well, no matter who they're playing up against right now. And so EQO for the post-game interview said that the reason why he thinks that they're winning now 
is because they've ditched the mindset of, oh, we're good enough. We can we can take a, a break when you're playing a lower tier team. Um, he said that the way that the team's mentality is going to practices and games now is no matter who we're playing, we're going to play the top. We're not going to play down to anybody. You're going to have to come up to our level. Um, have you ever yeah. encountered in, in your collegiate days that being an obstacle where you, you think you're going to beat this team and you kind of play down to them and that just really throws you off the game because you're not really you're not trying as hard as you should and it, it makes your performance suffer because I know for me personally having done mock trial competitively and, and traveled with it there were teams that we definitely should have beaten there are teams that came from colleges that no one's heard of that they had this kind of rinky dink team the the little team that could and, and coming from UCLA which is I think currently I think we're still the the team who's won the most records in the uh, in the nation like we should have beaten them handily but we got complacent and they they gave their all and they swept up from behind so in in the realm of professional competitive overwatch have you encountered this and and how hard is it to to overcome that idea that oh they're they're a lower tier team we can stomp them easily i'm usually on the other end of this uh not gonna lie um where you're playing uphill um but when it comes to this whole thing, you have to realize that every player has like a specific quirk about them. There's going to be something that you can easily do that will help you win. So when it comes to being a better team, like just remember, like um, you have to treat every single person like it is the strongest enemy that you're going to face. And if you do that, that's what's going to make you unstoppable. It's not the fact that you're letting off the gas pedal. You're like pedal to the metal, ramming your car into everyone. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm going to destroy you regardless. Like, that's what you have to think about. You can't be like, oh, you know what? It's an easy team. I can just take a day off. It's like, no, you have to destroy them. You have to give them 100%. And I say the same thing to my lower teams. Like, you have to consider them like... You have to remember that they may be, quote unquote, a better team on paper, but they're still people on that other side, right? They're just another player. They're just another set of players. And what you have to do is go in there and destroy their face. Like, that's that's all I have to say. Like, you have to go into it thinking that you have a chance to, to even get to that point. So I'm playing with a team that's like maybe... Uh, like I would say low plat is like their average. So what I'm telling them is like, you have to go in there and destroy them hundred percent. I don't care if it's a diamond team. I don't care if it's a master's team. You have to go in there thinking I can destroy them and I'm going to beat them into the ground. And that's the mentality that you have. And when you have that, and if you lose, you're like, okay, you know what? Like we just have to reset, go back, destroy them. Like if we get destroyed, it's fine. Like we just have to, figure out what we need to do to win. So there's always about figuring out what you can do better as a team rather than, Oh wait, we're outclassed or we're getting outplayed here. It's there's something that you can do as a squad that will do better than the other team. And if you can find out what that is, then you'll take full advantage of it. Um, Especially if you're a team that's lower. And one of the best things that I always say is SR is just a number. Um, Let's say if, if you have a team of masters who are all like at each other's throats doing their own thing, right? They're never going to be as strong as a two ultimate combo. 
So just mm-hmm. think about like the way how you play your ultimates and the way how you play the game is it's a team game. Overwatch is a team game. It can't be a, a you know, an individual sport because uh, 1v1 and Hero Gauntlet aren't a competitive mode yet. Uh, but if you think about it, it's all about team synergy. And if you have better synergy than the other team, you should be able to win. Now, do you think they'll be able to keep this record once they face like the traditional heavy hitters of the league, the the Titans and the Shock? So I feel like this is very good um, right now for the Fusion. Um, I think that they can keep the momentum for sure. Um, I just want to see what it what it comes down to, because the Fusion are definitely like one of the top teams right now. Um, yeah. And it, they are the top team right now. Um, it's just a matter of who they face off against and how they play against them. They EQO's interview was really eye-opening, just understanding, you know what, we're facing every team like they are the best team and uh, we're not letting our foot off the gas. Um, and the other teams in the league are going to be doing the same thing. They're like, we, we're not allowed to let our foot off the gas either. We're just going to go forward and be as strong as we can. So... Um, feel like the shock and the titans are going to be two teams to look out for once we start getting more of the west coast games going on all right so moving on to match two the paris eternal versus the atlanta rain or as uh, we've been calling it the bird fight who did you have winning this i honestly had the rain winning this just because of their dominant performance the day before but i had the the rain um, up on this one yeah but uh the we, we saw how it all turned out um it was just really interesting to see. Um, I was, I, I feel like once again, the, I feel like the rain may have gotten a little bit complacent off of their first win. They're like, Oh yeah, we we got the three Oh, like we should be okay. But there's a couple of like things that I saw in this game specifically, or this matchup where I'm just like, they kind of let off the gas here. Like they could have uh-huh. won this, like, but there are still some really solid, like, standout moments that i definitely like to see yeah i i the paris won this one but i i thought that the atlanta rain would be able to take it um there was a moment for me that really stood out which was a rain win it was on um hanamura um the paris attack they were on point two and it's at the very very end of of this map um, it looks like the Paris Eternal are about to cap the point. They've taken out the the, the Atlanta Rain, but the trickle in starts from Atlanta. Um, Erster is on Tracer, and he he's able to get these quick kills, and they're able to to somehow hold the point. It went from um, looking like the Atlanta Rain were going to hold it to Paris being oh they're definitely going to cap it to oh my god the Atlanta Rain were able to take this back that is just one of those clutch performances like when you see it you're just like this is this is a reason why we watch overwatch like for these clutch plays like this um like they held for six minutes and 11 seconds yeah it's one of those things where you're just like oh well they're gonna get rolled and then they don't they just keep fighting and that's that's just one of those things where it comes down to team synergy and being able to execute on what you need to do and they they understood that to the fullest so you think that the downfall of the atlanta rain was that that complacency that you saw they they won their first match pretty handedly not gonna lie um but when they got to 
like this matchup, I feel like they were like, oh, they're a new team. They don't they don't know anything about the league. We can just take a little bit of a break, but that is not the case. Um, they they just needed to essentially execute here. Um, and I feel like this is the uh, this is probably one of the wake up calls for them. Like I'm fine if they right. take this L, this first L, but they're gonna start like realizing we need to do a little bit more play outside the box. Um, Hanamura is one of those maps where uh, Baby Bay actually made his name by playing uh, by playing the Ash um, on point B. And we, I was kind of disappointed when I didn't get to see it again, but I was like, bring it back, please. Like I saw it on this point and I was like, I would love to see the Atlanta rain back on the Ash right. pick. But unfortunately we don't get to see that. Maybe, maybe they'll pull it out later in the year. I think a funny thing that Eggsy said during his post interview, because well, also Eggsy did really amazingly on on just. I think he outplayed Baby Bay a little bit because of the complacency that you you mentioned. They thought that they were going in as the better team would take it easily, but Eggsy mentioned that um, in regards to them now having a mixed roster on Paris, which originally like last season, and you said when they were founded, you've you've talked about it, how they were supposed to be like the European only team. Um, so now they have a mixed roster and he said that, um, in regards to having that mixed roster communication, it's that if you, he said, if you want to win the game, the English just comes out of your mouth, like uncontrollably, you just start to say the words. Yeah, I can see that. There's just only a few words that you really need to know in order right. to communicate. It's just like, for the most part, it's just like hop on the back line or like who you're focusing so you just hear like, oh no, 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 Lucio, 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 okay, uh, McCree, 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 go, go, go. Like, that's, that's literally all the communications that you hear. Um, and that's all you really need. It's just like, okay, yeah. who are we on and what are we using? Like, uh, that that's all you. That's all it is. Um, but I mean, a lot of the Korean players are also learning English. Like, I know Sebiolbi's English is actually getting pretty good. He's done parts of his interviews in English. Um, but I mean, if you consider that even though overwatch is mainly in america a majority of these players are are korean so what would do you think if at all there could be a case made for the the players learning korean and that being the dominant language instead of being english considering how dominant the the koreans are in this league oh yeah for sure uh i could definitely hear that happening um i know that the best case or like one of the biggest cases that i remember is actually from the dota 2 scene um there's a guy named black uh he's like this russian like cool dude he learned fluent mandarin so he can play on a chinese team and he did really well on that team um so i could definitely see it happening the other way around too where if some players want to play even at the higher levels they might want to learn korean and just playing contenders uh, to start out and then slowly build their way up and out from contenders and be like, Hey, I could also speak English. It's like that. Uh, I forgot who they interviewed the famous interview where like they translated the whole thing. And he's just like, <laughs> he's like, um, yeah. And he just speaks, he just answered the question in English. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot who that was, but that was, well, I don't, yeah, I don't know who it was, but Danny was the interviewer again. Danny yeah. Was- I thought I thought it was hilarious. Um and that's that should just be the way how it is. Okay, so moving on to match 3 which was the the mayhem versus the spitfire. Um 
the, the Spitfire uh, continued their their win streak again. The the mayhem continued their losing streak, but they actually they this wasn't one sided. Again, this was one of those matches where um, they they pushed it to the five. They didn't go to map three um, round five, but it it wasn't a, it wasn't a roll. Who do you, who do yeah. you think? benefited the most from their their match before do you think the mayhem woke up or do you think the spitfire got complacent i think the mayhem woke up a little bit i think that they definitely like saw the opportunity and were like okay yeah we we need to go now um and they were really feeling themselves i'm really happy that the mayhem aren't just like taking l's all the time um they're at least winning they won horizon and they won uh Ilios, so they're definitely like out there to win um if anything i think that uh i was thinking that this was just like an entertainment match once again it was kind of like the old, the spitfire or what was that one match with houston i don't know oh versus the uh no 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 it was against the boston uprising that's right that's right it was the yeah, uh are the... they both are they actually good or are they both really bad yeah i i had a feeling it was kind of the same thing as that but like these teams were both like mediocre uh and so when i saw it when i saw this match actually being played i was like yeah it, it's cool to see them do what they need to do but it does feel like it's it's just an okay matchup but if anything i feel like uh it's a good look for both of the teams uh we are just getting started in the season still so um getting these feeler games out is really important and especially for a new team for both of these teams are pretty brand new um it's about just getting used to your whole team and the environment so um i'm glad that they're at least getting these matches in and uh london if they start getting a little bit more like together they could essentially start doing really well okay so now now i think this is the the most interesting matchup of if not the week uh weekend of, of this day two the Outlaws versus the Defiant. So this one actually opened up with the the retirement of Jake's jersey. Uh, number seventy six was retired. Um, Jake, of course, is now a caster. He used to play DPS mainly on the Houston Outlaws. He led Team USA. He was known for the the Jake Rat plays, as it, as they were called, because he was just fantastic on Junkrat. Um, very good use of the Rip Tire. A uh, lot of really good highlights from him. Um, Watching him play honestly was what got me to be a Houston Outlaws fan because of those really amazing Junkrat plays. I was a Farah Junkrat kind of main at the time. I'd swap between those two a lot. And just watching him was so much fun. Um, so this is not this is not the first time that a, a jersey has been retired. Um, the When the London Spitfire won the first season, they retired their first seven jerseys. Um, but what do you think, what do you think as someone who's played in this field, retiring jerseys, do you think it's too early in Overwatch League? Is it, is it fine? What is the significance of it? Like this, um, this is still very, very early in Overwatch League. This is only year three. Like some players don't yeah, have their yeah. jerseys retired till years after they're done playing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like right now like giving them two years i think you have to give them a year after they retire before retiring uh -huh. their number um and then 
another thing about like retiring jersey numbers for esports like the number that we wear on the back of our shirt isn't super significant of a lot um like usually like nba players like when they retire their numbers it's a big deal because they worked to have like essentially that number like tied with their legacy um for us it's just like it's cool but we're better known for our name rather than the jersey that we wear yeah so like if they retired like it's cool that they retired jake's number but it's like the idea of jake and his career is the thing that we're actually honoring here like Mm -hmm. if they hung a pennant like if they had like a quote-unquote like pennant or like you know this is jake's number if they had like that but it was like Junkrat's face like that would be like way more iconic than oh yeah absolutely that because it would have been uh it would have been hilarious though like to just have like a giant junk rat pennant that just says jake rat on it but that's what we know him for like that's the thing yeah that got a lot of people in considering that it is esports and it's there's a very different dynamic than uh what we would refer to as traditional sports i think uh, retiring not retiring a jersey but like like you said hanging up a pennant with a character that this player made their name on would be more significant and would fit more into esports than it would be just as it seems it seems like to me it's like they're aping traditional sports a little bit too much here like, do you think yeah, that the retirement I, of a jersey holds the same significance as in a, a more traditional sport? I definitely don't think it does because, like, people pick their numbers, like, at least for Overwatch. It's just, like, it's kind of just there. We don't know Jake as number 76. We don't know, like, you know, we don't know, Shock, uh, we don't know Sinatra as, like, number one, right? But we know you know kobe was 8 and 24 we know that kareem was 33 we know you know jordan was 23 lebron is 23 we know that because they wore that and like we associate the number with their name um right now we don't do that in esports like not all esports jerseys have numbers like even in the dota 2 scene there's no there's no number on the back of their jersey it's just their name so if anything, I do feel like it should just be like a pennant with their name on it or like, you know, like a banner. If they had a banner with their name on it and like the heroes they played, that would be more significant than retiring a jersey number. Um, like it would be cool, for example, like if they had a flag for um, for the London Spitfire or the San Francisco Shock that said like world champions and they wore and they, you know, hung that Um the overwatch league champions and they had like the names of all their players there that would be a better way to honor them um than to retire a number because once you retire a number if you're following the same rules as you know the mlb and uh, nba and and like nfl if you retire a number the person who joins that team can't pick that number anymore right so yeah um not that it's like a big deal but like it would be like kind of detrimental to players later down if they wanted that number. Um, But honestly, I think that pennants and banners are more like a, are a better way of signifying how much we care about the players rather than retiring their Jersey number. Cause it really doesn't mean anything. 
um mm-hmm. to us it's we need to celebrate their accomplishment not the number that they wore on their back um, right right definitely. and I see that. like yeah as competitive players like in the nba like we associate the player with their number just because we see it whenever they're doing their thing but in mm-hmm. overwatch we don't have that luxury like they don't have their numbers placed on the character model so we don't see that all the time if anything we should like have just the character that they played that's they're most known for on like a banner with their name on it um and that is something that would honor like their legacy and things that they've done like if they had one um for me if they had one for miro from the uh soul dynasty and they hung him up with like a winston banner i would be like i remember i remember miro's winston like that is something or like Jonax Zenyatta like if they had that as a banner you'd remember like yeah he popped off on Zenyatta like that that is the reason why a lot of people played him like he would do crazy stuff um it's better than remembering like oh yeah Jonax was number two like what what do you do like right <laughs> it's better to remember what they did and the kind of stuff that they did for the game rather than um like just the number they want on their back can you imagine them like retiring the name though? <laughs> I mean, if if you're talking about numbers, I think the mo- the closest equivalent in esports would just be retiring their their player name. But also that's like no one has the same gamer tag. Yeah, not a lot of people are going to be like overlapping the same name. Um I mean, if some of them are overlapping and they're like kind of similar like if you had Poco and po- uh, Pokepo, like, both up there, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of weird. But at the same time, like, it makes sense to retire the player name rather than, um, like, their number. Uh, but that's part of the legacy. Like, you care about the legacy of the players uh, instead. Um, and that's another thing. Like, in Dota 2, the way how we like we don't have a retirement thing like if a player retires we just remember them for what they did for the game but um one of the things that we have in the game is like in in the base of dota 2 like in the actual game itself there is like a shop that's next to it and then on that shop there's an aegis or like a essentially like a shield and if you look at that shield, it has every single name of every championship winner. And uh-huh. that's in-game forever. So, like, years and years down the line, like, let's say if Overwatch... Like, I feel like they need to do that in, in Overwatch. Like, at every spawn room, there's just, like, a different flag or pennant that hangs. And, like, what would be really cool is, like, if there's a map, let's, like, let's say if they release a San Francisco map, right? And in that map, there's they have like the hanging banners of like uh, every shock player that won, or um, the one if you wanted to do like Paris or um, like Kings Row, like Kings Row, if they had like the original roster for um, the London Spitfire who won that year, like dangling from that, you would be like, okay, yeah, we remember they did they did a good like. <laughs> It's the best way to describe it. But honestly, um, I feel like if they had something in the spawn room, like even a small Easter egg that acknowledged like the past winners or um, 
like players who retired if you want to do that like if, <laughs> if they did uh route 66 and they had jake's uh-huh. uh they had jake's banner there like you would you would care on that map you'd be like oh yeah i remember you know jake did a lot here and like every spawn room just like yeah it's in game they could do like a hall of heroes map where like they'll update it whenever they like retire a character and there's like little tributes to them or 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 if they like if they wanted to do um if the if the team wins for uh the overwatch league for a season like they'll get maybe a map created for them specifically and then that's where you could like hang the tribute players stuff in that map um i don't think it's likely that they do that but that would for me that would be um a good way to immortalize these players yeah if if there was i blizzard world just do it on blizzard world okay like that's essentially your hall of heroes and stuff um just do that and hang a pennant just have like a trophy room like in one of the maps and that would probably be the best way to really honor honor these players. Okay, so moving into um, this match. Spoiler alert, the Outlaws somehow went, got their first win. Um, they, they broke that 2-0-0-2, streak that they pointed out <clears throat> for homestand teams. This was the map that matchup that we thought that the Outlaws would lose. We thought we'd, they'd win against the Spitfire. Uh, and we thought that they'd lose against the Toronto Defiant. Um, so they went Nepal, Kingsborough, and Horizon. Um, they they lost that first match. They they lost on Nepal. Um, so the Defiant were able to uh, win the first one at Sanctum. The Outlaws won at Village, and the Defiant won in the Shrine. Um, it was a lot of just classic this season Outlaws play where. Um, they weren't really as cohesive as a team. Muma kept getting caught out. So it, it looked like business as usual. But as soon as they moved over to King's Row and, and King's Row, Horizon, and Dorado, it was a completely different story. Um, King's Row, they did they did both mirror meta. Um, but later on in the match, uh, the matchups, they, they started going with their wonky comps. So we saw... Um, Muma on the Winston. We saw uh, the weird things that they pulled out. They had the hack fist out. There was an Ana Brig. There was um, Dante and Blase and Linkser and Hydration both swapping in whenever it was appropriate for their skills. Linkser got a lot of really important um, Widowmaker kills, like three in a row to, to break open these defenses. What do you think happened here that woke the Outlaws up? Uh, I honestly think like you, most people will, will discount this, but I think the crowd actually helped. Uh, Oh, the outlaws have, I think some of the most, uh, enthusiastic fans. Like they were, I watching all these last four weeks. I think the outlaws crowd was the loudest. So yeah, that's the reason I think that because they had the Jake Jersey retirement and the whole crowd was behind this whole presentation. They, felt the kind of need to really win um they they have the whole home crowd and then they at the same time they just kind of found their found their groove um 
So I feel like this was just a really good win for the Outlaws. They really used the crowd to their advantage and they understood like, you know, there's gravity to this game. It's not um it's not just whatever. Like we we have to do really well here. The hero pool is coming in next week. How do you think it's going to affect the way that we talked about this in the, in the the news segment, but mm-hmm. uh, from a, a purely league perspective, what's going to happen now? What are what's going to change in the way these teams play the with the standings and everything are, are we going to see certain teams who previously weren't doing well maybe find a new rhythm so essentially what this hero pool thing does is it helps teams that are able to be more flexible win more which is why i still think the shock are going to be one of the scariest teams in the game uh just because uh they they make the meme themselves it's like oh you banned these two heroes well we have an entire like backlog of dps players who can do random things that work so um like we could like architect is just happens to be on ana this week but you know what if we need to call up a Widowmaker, we have architect or you know rascal oh wait he's happens to be a baptiste player wait hold on we can use him as a far dps now like there's just so much flexibility like Sinatra himself too. Like he could play Tracer. Um, he could play Tracer or Doomfist, but then like, if you need a tank, you can sub them in for Zarya. Like they have that flexibility to keep their stars in the game, regardless of position. So I feel like teams who can also mimic that in a way are going to be the stronger teams in the league. Who are some specific teams that you think are going to really suffer from this? I think, I think this is going to be a proving ground for the Outlaws. Can they can they still do what they did this week? I think this is going to be a make or break for them. I agree with you that I think um, the 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 San Francisco Shock are going to be the team to beat now. I think with that flexibility, I think Philly's going to going to have some hard times ahead, keeping on the same pace that, as the San Francisco Shock have demonstrated that they're able to do with changing things on the fly and adapting. So I think, yeah, those, those are my thoughts. Yeah. That I feel like the Vancouver Titans are going to be kind of in a tight spot. Cause I haven't seen them play anything else. Uh, as of recently, they, they have a very meta a heavy team though, in general. Yes. So they did really well during the goats era. And they also did really good during like, um, you know, the two, 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 like after that and stuff like that. But they are very meta defiant, uh, dependent. They're mostly meta dependent. So they like to take their game slow too. So they have a lot of time to like really reset and figure out what they need to do. Um, but with this new format, the meta is changing every week. So they can't just take their time and figure out, oh, we need to do this. We can relax here. It's we have to keep doing this every week. It's going to get weird. Um, but we got to go. So we'll, we'll see how that works out for a lot of these new teams that are going to be played. Um, we haven't seen any of the Chinese teams come out, so we can't really like chime in on that. Um, but once again, I feel like teams that, that one trick are going to have a very difficult time in this new hero pools format. Mm -hmm. What about those teams who like, who, who just signed, um, one tricks and we talk about chips a lot but back when he was signed the the philly fusion were were talking about how they were going to initially base their team compositions around him as doomfist 
so yeah, that's what I think is gonna help. It's gonna help during weeks where Doomfist is gonna be the top pick. Like having him there is good. Same thing with Sparkle on the uh, on the Paris Eternal when he's old enough to play. Um, they're gonna do the same thing. They're gonna play around players who have that option. Um, but during weeks where they don't have that option, it's gonna be a lot harder to pull off certain compositions. So. I do agree that it is going to be cool to see some of these um, new teams come out with like one tricks and like interesting metas for a week. But at the same time, it can hurt them later down the line when let's say if like they literally won every week that they had this one hero open, how are they going to play with the rest of the year if they can't pick Mm. that? Um, Like there's going to be some weird day. I feel like where, we're going to lose like McCree and May. And then like Genji's going to come out of nowhere. Like he's just going to like architect is going to be on Genji in one way or another. And you're just like, he really sucks as a hero, but he's doing something right now. He's like just tearing up the back line. Uh, Cause no one's taking care of him. Nobody remembers how to play, play against him. So yeah, it could be that way where it's just like things are happening. And if, players don't play into that um they could get punished so it's gonna be a weird next couple of days for sure do you think the outlaws here just got lucky or do you think they really have a chance to is this gonna signal a a a turn in their luck for them i i don't um i think they might have gotten a little bit lucky here with with playing the dive um I, I think well they they did obviously they play better on the dive than um the defiant did muma is really at home on this winston i think the more he can play winston the better that they they're able to do because he keeps trying to play ryan like his winston um i think if they're able to to take more advantage of the dive then i think they'll be okay i think if i think if they keep sticking him on the winston I mean, if they keep sticking him on the Reinhardt, they're just going to keep getting the same results because four weeks in, he really hasn't learned. Um, I think their best chance of success, honestly, is keeping him for when they need to to swap to dive and having a new main tank, sign bumper or somebody. But I, I don't. I think this is lucky for them. I, I think this is a fluke, honestly. As, as an Outlaws fan, they, they should not really have won this one. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Uh, in terms, I don't think like yeah, it is a fluke. It's pretty interesting, but I feel like this is like if you are if you're a weeb like me in any sort of capacity, you'll know that the power of friendship uh, is a significant player when it comes to things like this. And I think that they just happen to get the power of like you know oh, our ancestors are behind us like jake is watching over our shoulders we got to do it and so like the old defiant were like you know helping them like win this game and that's it like they had the power of anime on their side but <laughs> i don't think that that's going to be there every single time you're going to have to realize like yeah i think they played into the crowd i think they they had that advantage um but anywhere else they're going to have to be in enemy territory and it's going to be very interesting to see if they're able to keep this momentum rolling into other places okay so according to the recent standings of the overwatch league after this weekend a lot of things have changed 
I haven't seen the the record beforehand, so I don't know exactly how drastic these changes were. Um, so I'm going to read off what where the teams are placed right now, and um, if I can zoom in, um, what what their their numbers are right now. Keep in mind that a lot of these teams haven't played yet. It's the Asian teams, but there are there are five of them. So once they start playing, this is going to really change the way that this looks. But at the top, we have the Philly Fusion with a five-win, zero-loss map, um, and their differential is plus 11. The Titans are in the second place with a 2-0 record, plus four. Um, San Francisco Shock are 1-0 with a plus two differential. New York Excelsior are at four and one. The Eternal are three and one with a plus five differential. Uh, Spitfire are three and two. The Atlanta Rain are one and one. The Valiant are one and one. Uh, the Boston Uprising are one and two. The Washington Justice are one and three. To round out the top ten, um, now moving forward, the Toronto Defiant are one and three. Florida Mayhem one and three. Outlaws one and five. Um, 14, 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, and eighteen are all the Asian teams who haven't played at all, so they're placeholder matches. Um, 19 are the Los Angeles Gladiators with an 0-1, and, and the Dallas Fuel are at the very bottom at position 20 with 0-2. and two. So um, it's it's very sad to be lower than the teams who are a 0-0 zero and zero record right now. But the Outlaws have managed to somehow climb up from that 20 spot. Yes, getting that one win actually brings them above anyone who hasn't gotten a win yet. So... Um... Very good win for them, landing in 13th. But once again, I feel like we, we're seeing the standings right now. Philadelphia Fusion are just going to sit at that top until somebody is able to challenge them. Um, and once again, I feel like it is the Vancouver Titans or the Shock. Um, the Excelsior put on a really good match against them too, so um, don't discount them at all. The ones that really surprise me, though, is the fact that like the Paris Eternal are up here at 3-1, and one, and that's just... Super bizarre to me. I, I just think that that's like strong team right now. Yeah. Paris Eternal and London Spitfire are the two that I'm just like, well, you guys are brand new. What are you doing here? Like, uh, I don't, I don't think that they were, they had the capacity to be up here. Um, but apparently they are doing really well against the matches, matchups that they have. Um, I'm surprised that the Toronto Defiant are not top 10. Um, with that all-star lineup, I thought that they would at least have a couple more wins, but um, yeah, I, I guess it just comes down to figuring out who they need to play and how, how much better they need to do it. So Toronto defiant um, and also the Atlanta rain. I, I didn't think that they would be down at seventh. I thought they would be a little higher, but um, and the last one that I want to mention is the Washington justice. The fact that Corey and Stratus are just crazy good. Um, and they're in 10th, doesn't really give them, uh, no pun intended, but justice. Uh, <laughs> they just need to, like, get their stuff together, and I think that they can pull it, like, pull through the rankings, especially later on in the season. So, um, it is still pretty pretty early. I do feel like the Philadelphia Fusion are going to continue to push forward and become one of the better teams this season but we still have a lot to worry about in terms of the other teams as well. So um, still feeling it out. I just hope that we get a lot more uh, close 
competition and more games later down the line. So um, we'll we'll be checking in next week for sure. Cool. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. If you haven't listened to our news section, please go ahead and do that. Um, yeah, like, rate, and subscribe. Get your other friends to like, rate, and subscribe because that would be helpful. And we'll hopefully post more cringy memes onto our social media to get more awareness of us. Yeah, that'd be nice. And if you guys want to send it to us too, like we're, we're down to just give oh, you yeah. credit. Uh, we, we have a lot of like I don't have a lot of like memes in terms of uh, Overwatch stuff but I can definitely ask the crew and see if we can find some yeah most of my memes are Spongebob like I have a whole folder on my phone of just Spongebob frame reactions so if you've got anything you'd like us to post or anything you want us to do drop us a line and uh, we'll do our best to work that into our schedule and whatever we do All right, cool. Well, see y'all next week. Yep, we'll see you next week. Next week, we cover the games for the second Washington Justice homestand. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcast platforms and follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. Questions or comments? Please send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. If you'd like to advertise with our show, please contact our network at believe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.